Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Rob Chevelle, the co-founder of Abine and Delete Me. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was introduced to your work a little bit about uh, online concerns around security, fraud, issues like this with donors and relationships with nonprofit organizations. And I have some very specific questions about that that I want to dig into. But before I do, could you just introduce the work of both of your organizations? Uh, what is Abine? What is Delete Me? How do those things work? Sure. Um, so we're a 10 year old company and we're a tech company and we're really a privacy company. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we have a mission to uh, deliver uh, tools and services that uh, are hundred percent focused on improving people's privacy. Now it does overlap with security. Uh, and I think we're going to talk about some of the security and privacy threats mm -hmm. uh, that are specific uh, specifically out there or, uh, even uh, more relevant to, uh, to, to nonprofits these days. But overall, uh, our focus uh, has been and remains around privacy, data privacy, personal privacy. And obviously, it's an issue that is uh, becoming more top of mind uh, generally uh, globally and here in America than it has been in the past. Right. And even more so for, for folks that operate internationally, because what's been happening in Europe with GDPR and all those um, evolutions of thinking, very interesting. But right here in, in the States, where a lot of our folks that are listening today are operating, uh, I think we're hearing more about those, those privacy concerns. And as charities that are trying to build a trusting relationship with donors, we, we want them to feel comfortable that we're um, on their side in bringing them in to support our work but expressly understanding whatever privacy or security issues they may have. And of course, I think some of that is about education. So um, first, where do you start a conversation if a, a new charity comes up to you and says, gosh, I am hearing from a couple of uh, our larger donors that this is a concern of theirs. Um, what should we be thinking about as we begin being more conscious of these privacy issues in this relationship with donors specifically? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and, you know, I think um, one of the very first things is this concept in our little niche of the technology uh, world, which by and large is comprised of uh, geeks who think more about um, security and privacy than the average person, mm -hmm. uh, and certainly than the average high net worth donor uh, or executive director we talk about something called privacy by design and really uh it's a it's a uh, a concept where you're thinking about privacy as part of the communication cycle uh that you're building uh with uh with donors uh so for example um i know uh the lifeblood of uh, of many nonprofits is 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 your database, and you know mm -hmm. you, you need to grow that and market to these individuals and and uh, you know keep keep them um, coming back year after year uh, to uh, whatever cause you're supporting. Now, uh, one of the things that I I as a you know in, in my in my personal life when I support. Uh, uh, different nonprofits appreciate is when 
uh, on extended choices mm-hmm. uh, that reflect the fact that you know there's a there's there are ways that I can dial up or down the privacy of my relationship as a donor with any organization. And I think if you give me any choices at all, uh, you're ahead of the, uh, you're, you, you know, you're, you're ahead of 95 of, of, of the other hundred organizations that, uh, that I give to. And I, you know, for me personally, uh, that makes a big difference. Right. No, I think that that's absolutely true in, in all kinds of areas about nonprofit relationship with donors is providing them choice. I uh, I think I've got a, another conversation uh, about uh, how to provide that with email, for example. You've got to give people choices about how often they hear from you, what types of things. Giving them uh, choices about how concerned are you about the nature of this relationship as a donor, what we're doing, um, what can we be doing to provide you with assurance that we you know care about that and want to meet you somewhere. And then for those folks who that's not much of a concern, they'll go, well, that's nice. They're thinking about it and and that's not as important to me and they move on and and make a donation or not. But for others where that really is a differentiating factor, I think you're right. Most of the time, they're not going to see that with other choices that they get. Uh, They just won't be having it. So that's absolutely right. And and I'd say I'd, I'd I'd emphasize that there's very little downside, but there's a tremendous upside. And, you know, again, putting yourself in a perspective of a high net worth donor um, the amount of solicitation that those individuals get, right. uh, is, and is, is already high and it's only growing. Uh, and while I think, you know, many donors are, you know, richer today than they were before the pandemic started, uh, which is a good thing for, you know, charitable organizations across the board in the United States, uh, they're also more harassed. Uh, and so striking that balance and, uh, and, and, and building trust in that relationship, uh, I think makes a lot of, uh, dollars and cents if, if, uh, if I may. Yeah. And I'd like to get back to that question of how some of that relationship to the charity may be used against a donor, that harassment question that you talked about. But before we do that, let me just ask you to walk through an example of probably the most common area where we would have this interaction is that um, we're requesting a financial contribution be made online. And you're going to go to our website and uh, see a form to fill out uh, probably with a credit or debit card, but you know maybe it's a direct bank transfer or something to request that you support us. Now, with some larger donors, of course, they may choose other methods of giving, but just for the sake of this example, um, how would a charity sort of differentiate themselves from anybody else out there in that process of, I'm at your donate page now, you're asking for my name, my address, my phone number, my email at a minimum, and then maybe some other things too. Um, And then you're going to transact a financial contribution here probably through a third party, you're almost certainly using somebody else's engine to do that. How do I feel like you've thought about my privacy, my uh, relationship with you in that experience? It's a great question. Um, and there, there are many, uh, many ways to do so. And the good news is, you know, many of them are easy uh, and uh, inexpensive. Um, so one, uh, you know, one, one thing to do is to highlight the fact that you understand and may uh, may be able to give them a choice or take action 
as they're donating about uh, their data and their privacy. So simply put, you can have a checkbox, uh, you know, under or at the, the, the checkout flow or web form that you are referencing that says, hey, you know, make sure, you know, not guarantee, you know, none of your data will be sold, mm. uh, you know, after you hit submit. Um, you know, uh, worded, I think in a little bit more professional right. way than I'm saying, sure. but, but, but even just doing that, which by the way, um, is, is being enshrined into in, in, as a choice into laws like the California consumer privacy act, uh, the CCPA, where all, uh, citizens in California and, uh, of course all donors, that live there will have the choice to go to you and say, Hey, don't sell my information to any third parties. So just getting in front of that and using it, not just as a sort of a compliance thing, but as a marketing uh, tool uh, to provide trust and confidence during a transaction, I think makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of other um, ways from uh, exposing certain things in the privacy policy to offering uh you know, some of the kinds of services that we provide where they can mask their credit card or mask their email address so they don't uh, have to expose it to uh, third parties uh, or uh, databases that they don't want it in. You know, there's all kinds of uh, tools uh, to to promote a private, trusted uh, relationship with your donors. But I'm here to tell you that yeah, it doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, you, you know, you can do it with some uh, edits to your web checkout form. Well, that's a wonderful piece of advice on where to start, right? Because it's extremely painless for the charity involved. And most of us have no intention of reselling that information or sharing it outside the organization anyway. But you don't always think to say that, to, uh, you know, right at, right at the beginning of the relationship with somebody like- And by the way, and, 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 and I would say, by the way, that is not most- uh, donors expectation. Most donors expectations are as soon as I give you data, as soon as I hit that submit on that form, as soon as we have a relationship, you're going to go out and, uh, you know, do what you want with that. So I am going to receive endless amounts of similar solicitations yeah. and everything else. And this is really why our delete me service is growing in popularity uh, it is not directly related to anything nonprofits do with data sharing, but mm -hmm. what Delete Me it does and is about is this whole idea of once you share your information somewhere, data brokers, these third parties that we we as individuals have no relationship with, go buy it behind the scenes, scrape it from places they find it on the web. Uh, and build detailed profiles about all of us and then go sell that to other organizations. So the proliferation of data that is increasingly detailed and increasingly relevant and increasingly personal to us and our families has uh, ballooned to uh, you know what I would describe as an out of control extent. And the important thing to bring it back to the conversation we're having is that I believe when that donor comes to you in whatever form, personal, uh, on online, uh, over the phone, their default expectation right now is that um, their data is going to be misused because that's what's happening everywhere else. It's such a, a good thing to highlight and where, and I think probably more so for that higher net worth donor uh, than maybe some of the rest of us that the, to, that have that relationship of, you know, my, my information is going to be reshared or resold with somebody else. 
uh, and that being a sensitive area to just step in front of that right away is such a great beginning place. So I, I, I hear you on that and that's a nice start. Uh, but I think as, as you think about uh, what you hear from people who are more concerned about their own individual privacy, uh, beyond just that first financial transaction. And of course, I, I do want to back up one moment now that I've said this, that of those folks that like to make larger gifts, I, I think, or the ability to do so, you know, maybe choosing tools like donor advised funds or paper checks or something else to not transact online directly with you, uh, charity, and instead to sort of put something else between them. I think is a uh, important recognition where we may want to surface that option of if you prefer not to give online, here's other ways you can connect with us. Here's how we can respect that choice and put that information right up front in that donor form so they don't feel like they have to, if I'm going to make a $5,000 gift, I don't necessarily want to take a 3% chunk out of that for a credit card processing fee. I'd you know, rather it go to you. 100%. And you know, I think everyone in the, in the, um, in the charitable business is familiar with the choice and concept because it has, uh, you know, it's very popular of, hey, do you want, if you're making a donation, do you want your name attached to it or not? And I think the, the uh, you know, the mental model for people to consider here is, well, that's, that's a paradigm that could be extended into a few different places mm -hmm. in, in our organization and in our processes and in our relationships with our uh, with our community of donors, where should we apply that same principle? Right. And that's a really good reminder, too, that uh, especially for those website forms and whatnot, where you might not be thinking somebody that's making a 50 or $100 contribution, you know, wh what do they care if we list them in our annual report or not? But, you know, the more that that becomes publicly shared information and scraped from other sources, uh, the, the more that you really want to surface that as an option and a choice for any size donor to feel more comfortable that you're respecting where they are and who they are and not necessarily being publicly listed as a supporter. That's right. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, and, and I can tell you that, uh, you know, our delete me business, which, which I, as I mentioned, does exactly this, it goes out uh, and finds our customers exposed, personally identifiable information that's been aggregated into these data broker websites like whitepages.com and mm -hmm. Spokio and Radaris. And there's just this endless list, uh, seemingly endless list of these uh, third-party data brokers that that specialize in this stuff. Um, and we, we go out, we find it, and then we go uh, do the hard work of opting out and removing uh, our customers' information from each one of those and then checking back all year to make sure it stays removed. The point being, that it may not be your fault. Uh, you may not be responsible for the mm -hmm. data sharing at all. It may just be happening without your consent or anybody else's. And that really is sort of the state of how bad, uh, you know, personal information and data uh, collection and aggregation is in the United States right now. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. When, when you as a charity may be sharing data about your donors without your knowledge, without your knowledge right. and pissing them well, off. Let me ask you about one specific example of that, because we, we mentioned the GDPR a little while ago, the um, uh, general data protection regulation, if I remember what that stands for correctly in Europe. 
uh, where they've tried to say, all right, if you want a GDPR compliant privacy policy, here's some boxes to sort of check and make sure that you're doing these things. One of which that I didn't think about until I was going through that process some years ago when this all started was your relationship with other third party vendors that aren't necessarily you think of as donor um, services. So MailChimp, Constant Contact, those sorts of folks um, that they've got access to you, what you think of as your data, but their terms of service may well say, well, that's kind of our data that you're using while you're using our service. And, you know, we've got to really be understanding what do we think about those people as partners in our business and what are they going to do with that information? It's a great uh, question. And I'm a little, you know, hesitant to bring it up because it is a, uh, a rabbit hole that, um, <laughs> you know, may, may, may be deeper than many people want to go. But it, um, it is absolutely the case that when you are using customer data with third party software as a service uh, entities out there to get your work done, uh, you need to, and I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I never try to give recommendations that are not pragmatic and that require a bunch of work, but I do think if you put your stopwatch on and take 15 minutes to review the legal terms and data sharing terms of these vendors, uh, that's an important thing for any nonprofit to do and call out, you know, areas where, you know, you're not comfortable, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's no simple answer. We all live in an ecosystem, which, you know, we're reliant on data. We use data. We're reliant on the internet transfer of that data to get things done. Like that's just how our worlds work. And it's, and we're not going back, uh, anytime soon, but, but have an understanding at least force yourself to uh, put that stopwatch on and read a little bit because there, there, there are always choices. If you contact a new vendor, right? Remember, the customer is always right. Uh, that does the same thing, and you ask them, "Well, hey, can you uh, secure uh, my data and assure me that you know my customer data will will always be mine?" Uh, you know, in a, in every case, uh, uh, then you can just uh, you know switch to a privacy preserving uh, choice. Yeah. Good to be aware of as you think about what you're asking your donors and other supporters to connect with that uh, you may think, no, I've, I've locked down my donor database. I really understand that part of it. But what about these other services that are connecting and how do we, you know, the, so good, good to check those pieces too. Is that something that you, when, when we talked very much at the beginning here about this uh, education part of the process, both for the charities and for the people who are giving um, to think through, you know, it's a, as you said, kind of a big rabbit hole. You can't, you know, be perfectly secure all the time against everything, but you can certainly take some reasonable steps. Do you, do you help people think through these ideas of where are your connections in this space and how are you um, acknowledging and informing your community that this is the way you do business and how, what you're doing to take care of them? You know, I think it's it's um, it's it's a needed topic of discussion, and it does require some legal and technical um, context to be uh, to be summarized uh, efficiently. Uh, so it's a good example of something that you know I, I'd go back to our marketing team uh, and say, "Hey, we should do a webinar, uh, get some uh, folks involved, depending on their interest level and and experience, and and go from there," because. 
it does require some education and nobody wants to do this all uh, themselves. Uh, it's just too onerous and, and it's not, you know, something that's top of mind because what's top of mind is getting our job done, which is doing good and making sure we have the resources to do good in, in this space. And, you know, I understand that everything else is, is, uh, ancillary or second fiddle. Um, you know, that said, I think trust, uh, to go back to, you know, our earlier discussion, trust with your key donors is something that, uh, takes time to build and is the foundation for, you know, the lifeblood, the money uh, that you use to do good. And I think, um, you know, thinking about that uh, from a privacy perspective is more important today than ever. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm really excited that you took some time to help set that stage. So with those thoughts in mind of, you know, here's a, a first entry point is we're trying to get somebody to make that donation. But even before that, uh, usually we're, we're asking people to kind of come up this engagement letter of learning about the mission and uh, hearing more from us in a email newsletter or subscribing to a podcast or whatever the thing may be. Um, they've got to give us even some basic information in those spaces too. And do you feel that, you know, the, the privacy issue of just even at that level, uh, are there uh, donors or other supporters that are a little bit more sensitive to, well, I'm not giving you a credit card, so it's not a big deal versus, you know what, it is still you putting me in your system. And I, I'm concerned about what that means. You do you hear from people about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all the time. So how do you help them feel comfortable with just even those intro levels of conversations of, you know, uh, I mean, it's certainly we already mentioned about the uh, the donor form. We won't resell your information. I guess we'd need to get that in our email subscription uh, or other contact form uh, disclosures too. then. I, I think, I think it's a good idea. I mean, again, what's the upside, what's the downside. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I also get the question a lot. Well, how can we assure uh, these folks that we're protecting their data? And, you know, I think a little bit of transparency goes a long way. Uh, so yeah. for example, you know, um, I, I say there's some easy things to do. If you're hosting um, your database, uh, I, I think like a lot of uh, nonprofits are uh, using Amazon Web Services or something, uh, Microsoft or Google, you should just call that out. Um, because there's a trust factor implied uh, with uh, those platforms. And in fact, you know, one of the key reasons to use the big tech platforms for hosting is that they are more secure because they're the only people that can afford to, to pay thousands of security engineers uh, you know, all day, every day uh, to monitor for threats and hacks and cyber attacks and stuff like that. God knows um, nonprofits can't can't do that. So leverage um, the brands and the security of, of the big guys uh, to, uh, to give your uh, customers and donors more assurance. Uh, I think that's an easy win. Which may necessitate, again, that 15 minutes of reading the policy thing, because if you're working with a donor relationship management database, um, it may not be particularly clear, well, where, where is this stuff hosted? Who's, who is behind this wall? Because, yeah, it's probably AWS. I mean, you know, they, they tend to have a lot of the business out there, but we just don't know uh, right away if it's a smaller uh, firm that we're working with and, you know, like, how do we know? So we may have to read and ask in order to explain that to our 
customers to say, you know, we're using, you know, XYZ platform to uh, um, store our information. And those folks are assuring, you know, security through relationships with, you know, Google or Amazon or Microsoft or, you know, somebody that knows what they're doing, or if they're not, you know, weighing whether that's a concern for you and whether you might want to think about a different vendor. Do you help in vendor evaluation? Is that something a charity could come to you and say, we are thinking about kind of upping our game a little bit uh, in our online storage of information? Can you help us make decisions or is that not part of your offerings? It's not really part of our okay. offerings. Um you know, one thing that we, uh, and again, you know, we, we've been in business a long time. We've, mm -hmm. we've probably answered every question that, <laughs> that, that's been, that's been asked. Well, there's always new questions, but, sure. but um, we are more than happy to um, help uh, with any nonprofit with any question. Um, and like I said, we can do it efficiently because we've been doing it for a long time. That said, no, we're not a consulting service and we don't help with evaluating uh, those kinds of things, but happy to, you know, if there's enough interest, take it up as a, as a webinar or a topic where we can efficiently provide some perspective and expertise. But I would say that, you know, beyond, uh, you know, where, where the data is being hosted and, and looking at your, your donor relationship management data as well. Um, you know, we, we, we do have nonprofits using our delete me service and using it in that exact capacity, which is to, uh, to advertise, if you will, or instill trust that you're taking precautions to protect the privacy and security of the nonprofit, um, just like you'd be hosting, you know, at uh, at Google or AWS, you know, using Delete Me, um, so that there the exposed personal information that might be exploited um, to get at the databases, um, to get at those personal. Uh, in, uh, sets of information um, is more secured. So you know, uh, you know, we're 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 one of of uh, of many um, you know privacy and security uh, tools. And you have to figure out you know which which uh, which makes sense for you and what uh, communications uh, will uh, instill trust and yet not um, you know not uh, overburden. Uh, somebody who uh, has a primary objective of of uh, something uh, uh, to do uh, to do good uh, alongside right. you. So, yeah, I think again, acknowledging that there's never going to be a perfect solution. If you go for perfect, you're going to be spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just just trying to make sure that there isn't one possible vector out there somewhere. But you you raise a good point about the other side of this where I started about the donor uh, focused conversation. How do we assure those people that we're concerned? But those aren't the only constituencies that we serve in the nonprofit community. You've got your board of directors. Uh, you've got uh, other you know partners that are endorsing your work and they're um, potentially at risk as well with their personal privacy and issues. Uh, I, I was involved in a Charity, uh, as a member of a board of directors that had a huge blow up in, um, in um, donations overnight that got all kinds of news coverage. And then all of a sudden, the, the board members themselves were getting phishing scheme um, attacks and uh, all sorts of other things starting to come through where we were feeling pretty secure in our obscurity before. Um, but that obscurity doesn't always last. And I think, you know, certainly thinking about those delete me types of options ahead of becoming more more at risk uh, is is easier than trying to put the genie back in the bottle afterwards, yes? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point, though. You know, very few people think uh, think ahead in this world, right. uh, and that's okay. You know, I, I I understand that. We understand that. But to your point, and and really, this is the behavior that we see from our you know from our vantage point uh, the most, which is you know nonprofits uh, coming to us in droves, saying, "Hey, protect my executive directors, protect my board." Um, because we are seeing incidents of phishing, uh, cyber attacks that could lead to, you know, true, you know, true uh, breaches of the network and data breaches of our database. Uh, and we're also seeing uh, harassment. Um, and I think, uh, and, and harassment in the form of, hey, I, I know where your, your home is. I know how much your house is worth. I know, you know, where your children live. Um, you know, harassment that is is perpetrated online using personal information in the same way that phishing and impersonation attacks use personal information, but to kind of make it a veiled threat. Uh, and that's, you know, something that we, you know, we call doxing or yeah. uh, what have you. But the incidence of, of these, uh, uh, these, these kinds of things happening, unfortunately, uh, and specifically in the nonprofit arena, uh, are uh, at least anecdotally um, going uh, in the wrong direction. Yeah. Uh, meaning they're getting a lot more frequent, and that's why uh, you know that's why we're covering uh, a tremendous amount of nonprofits. And I think it's part of the mac. You know, one of the reasons is the macro environment in America right now is very politicized, and so. Even if your nonprofit is doing something that seems to be innocuous and good to all people, uh, hey, you're um, helping education in a particular community, you know, maybe that has rubbed somebody or some group of people, you know, just the wrong way with, with, with some kind of press that came out or, or what have you. And, it, and, and again, it, it became, uh, you know, to some uh, people, a political issue, and then they strike back with, you know, easy online um, sort of attacks using personal information. So that is unfortunately, uh, yes, uh, the other side, not the non-donor side, the, the actual organizational side of what's driving uh, that, that a trend that we see and what's driving uh, sort of growth in this sector uh, in our particular uh, privacy business. So it's, uh, I think, a fairly common practice on most organizational websites to list their board members uh, in a very public way to say, these are the community stewards that are helping oversee this work. We, we trust them. We hope you trust them. This gives you some sense of security that your um, investment in our mission will be well taken care of because these people are the decision makers. Um, but that seems to just inherently, you know, surface them right there for anybody else to see. Is there a balance in how you... There's absolutely, um, there's absolutely a balance. And look, that we're never going to get away from social proof and, 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 and using uh, the brands of trusted individuals to further causes like that is fundamental to mm -hmm. mission and execution of, of everything, charities and, and regular businesses and so forth. Here's the problem. And here's where there needs to be a boundary. It's when that, and, and, and look, all, all of, a charity, you know, in some ways, a charity is a public facing organization, yep. right? Every, every employee and every executive director has to, in some ways, be on the front line 
Uh, they have to have their name and contact information out there in order to do their job effectively. But here is the, you know, the, the crossing the Rubicon is as soon as that information is then used to, to uh, make an attack that takes it over to the personal what we would most of us consider personal private information, where we live, what our cell phone number is, the names of our relatives, things, uh, data about, um, you know, our past, uh, you know, that comes up in these data broker profiles. As soon as somebody uses that additional information and suggests, and without permission, without any trusted relationship, uh, and goes and does anything with it, even if it's not, you know, trying to uh, impersonate or hack the network, but but simply uh, as a veiled threat um, to uh, to get back uh, because they're emotional about something. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's when uh, these boundaries are being crossed too often. It's not that we we can't put our names out on the internet. It's that unfortunately, it's too easy to take a name on the internet and connect it to all that personal information that the data brokers are selling for as little as 99 cents. Yeah. So you, uh, I, I guess the solution there is to think more about these uh, other services that Delete Me offers in terms of just trying to remove uh, as much of that other connective information. And then, you know, that public list of board directors is just still going to be there. I mean, I think so. I think people okay. need to compartmentalize uh, their public and online profiles from their private, personal, and family data. And unfortunately, the um, the laws in the U.S. are playing catch up for that. Hmm. And so, in between, uh, as the laws get better uh, and consumers and individuals get more rights, um, you know, that's all a good thing. But between, uh, you know, that future, and, you know, and hopefully the Biden administration will um, uh, further, uh, you know, that mission, because it's already, as you pointed out earlier in the conversation, happened in Europe with the GDPR, and it's happening in Brazil, and uh, uh, even China passed a data protection law <laughs> last year, for God's sake. So um, as we play catch up in the US, um, services like Delete Me. Uh, play an increasingly important role, which is to say that we can, for you know what what many of us would consider to be a reasonable fee, you know, one hundred twenty nine dollars a year, two hundred dollars a year, or whatever, we can go out and um, you know do it do a very uh, decent job. You know, nothing's perfect right. at cleaning up that data trail that allows people to easily cross that boundary and link, you know, public information that we want out there to do our jobs with private information that, uh, you know, might be a threat either to the security of the company, the organization, the network, or to our personal, um, you know, security, our families, our homes, you know, that sort of thing. So a lot of this is education uh, in terms of helping people understand what they could be thinking about ahead of 
any of those sorts of breaches or, or thoughts. Um, how do charities step forward with donors that are already in existence with them, that are already in connection and, um, and sort of offer that help to them of, you know, here's something that we think is important and you should maybe be aware of, uh, here are steps that you could consider taking or, or what's the right boundary there for somebody to respect uh, what a donor has contributed, but help them also understand we want you to be safe? Uh, you know, it's a good question. Um, I think one of the great things about charities is that they do have a trusted relationship with, with their donors, uh, typically, uh, especially uh, repeat ones. Um, and so I think, you know, I wouldn't want to overstep, you know, my bounds here and, and suggest something that, you know, is, you know, we, we would be inherently biased on because we're a privacy company and that's what we get up and think about, mm -hmm. you know, each morning when we know that, you know, almost nobody else, well, a, a, a minority of people, uh, you know, w w worry about it uh, uh, the, these days. So all I'd say is, you know, listen to your customers, listen to your donors, yeah. um, figure out uh, where, where they're at. And, and, I, and I do think that, um, if you, if you have those conversations or, um, uh, have ways to get feedback, uh, from them, I think that many, uh, nonprofits might be surprised at the, uh, demand, uh, out there, um, for some, uh, attention to, um, to privacy, uh, as it relates to the, the relationships that, that you're building. Uh, so yeah, I'd leave it there. Sure. So how do charities end up connecting with you about this work? I, I have this fear that it's sort of, again, after the, the horses bolted from the barn, rather than somebody was really forward thinking and going, you know what, this is becoming more of an issue. We should understand our options better. Let's have a conversation rather than, oh my gosh, one of our major donors, you know, um, feels like their relationship with us was a, a, a vector in them losing some information or something like that. Yeah. Um, do you get it that way? Do you get it more proactively? How do, how do people find you? Sure. Um, no, look, I think there's a lot of simple proactive steps that if you're going to dedicate, you know, one day a year to being better at this in your organization, you can take, and we've already been through on the donor side, you know, some, some very simple sort of checkbox and additional sort of communications approaches to, uh, give them a sense that you care at all, you know, that, that anyone has paid attention um, to this uh, aspect as they're going through um, some kind of uh, funnel or uh, relationship building or donation uh, process. And then on the side, you know, flipping back to the side of the organization, we, are, we have a tremendous amount of nonprofits who sign up um, proactively for the Delete Me service and cover the executive directors or offer their board coverage, um, uh, subsidized or not. Uh, you know, it's just a, you know, it, it's something that we didn't necessarily uh, see coming, frankly. Uh, uh, and, you know, one of the reasons, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out here talking to you is, is in a way, uh, the nonprofit sector came to us and raised their hand and said, hey, this is a problem that we want to handle proactively and get, uh, 
get out in front on. So can you just give us this privacy coverage? Can you just take care of this? So we don't have to worry about it as much. And, and, and the last thing I would say is if, if, um, if cost is an issue and budget is an issue, which it is for many uh, nonprofits, uh, I, I'd say two things. One, uh, we have a pro bono um, uh, budget and, and, and offering, and, and we do work with uh, actively with some nonprofits to, to help them uh, completely free of charge with our service. And then also we have a free guide uh, right on uh, uh, the homepage of our uh, website, joindeleteme.com, which uh, allows you to uh, go, which outlines step-by-step -step, uh, how you actually uh, remove yourself from uh, the databases of these data brokers, hmm. and uh, it, you, you know, you you absolutely do not have to pay us. Uh, you can you can do it uh, all on your own as well. Well, that's good to know, and we'll make sure that that link is in the show notes for people to be able to learn more about that. Um, I mentioned earlier in the conversation when we are starting to run a little low on time, so I just want to get this question out, and then I'll ask if there's anything we've missed to wrap up. But um, this concept of uh, you know thrown around in the industry called uh, you know security through obscurity, we're we're just too small and insignificant to be uh, a target for anybody to try and leverage a relationship with a donor or or um, you know invade anybody's privacy we're this small little organization um, and I think that maybe that concept uh, you know has changed a lot as it becomes easier and easier for more of this data scraping to happen at scale and not necessarily looking at oh yeah we're going after these multi-million dollar nonprofits because they're not that many of them versus the smaller organizations you know the million dollar budgets or sub-million dollar budgets where you you could still have trouble these days and and maybe you haven't seen it yet because you think I'm just too small and nobody's going to bother, but I don't know that that's really the case anymore. I don't think I could have said it better myself. I mean, the tools to perpetrate, you know, phishing attacks and hacks and, and other things uh, have gotten uh, much easier to access and much more sophisticated. And that is why you read about these small towns that you've never heard of getting ransomware attacks. Yeah. You've never heard of them. Who would go there? You know, they have a, their whole town has a, you know, $700,000 budget, you know, but somebody decided that was worth uh, potentially getting a few Bitcoin. So yes, is the answer. There isn't uh, uh, size doesn't matter as much as it used to. And uh, that means everybody needs to be a little bit more vigilant. Yeah. Well, as, as we are running out of time, are there things that uh, you would like the nonprofit community to kind of start thinking about more proactively on emerging issues that maybe haven't been talked about as much in the press if people have been following these? Yeah, um, it's a great question uh, to, to wrap up with. You know, I think that there, there are things that we pay attention to a lot uh, that, that are happening uh, and are concerning on the horizon, such as facial recognition, such as algorithmic decision-making, mm. using personal data uh, and, uh, and so forth. Um, but, you know, in some ways, uh, those are things that all of us, whether we're, uh, you know, in, in, a, in, a non, in the charity world or, or, you know, or outside of it are going to have to uh, contend with and worry about. So, you know, and and also the the law, the laws, as I mentioned, in the United States, 
you know, uh, are happening in a piecemeal state-by-state fashion uh, today. So that is also something that, you know, bears consideration, right. particularly, particularly if your donors uh, are disproportionately represented by states with um, privacy laws uh, in place today, like California or, and, uh, and uh, Vermont, and uh, there are ones uh, in the legislature in New Jersey and New York and, and, and a bunch of places. So um, something, something to look out for. But overall, uh, you know, I, I think to summarize what we've already talked about, uh, I, I think those are, those are the most relevant things, which is, you know, you don't have to, you know, the message isn't, uh, there's some massive, uh, you know, consulting firm that you have to hire to get in front of uh, a little bit better uh, posture around privacy and security and personal information exposure. Uh, no, there's a few simple things you can do. You can do them to give your donors more confidence and that hopefully will be good for business. And you can do them for your uh, yourself and your, your key staff and board uh, to give them uh, more peace of mind as well. Those are great reminders of the, the whole conversation as we wrap up. And I'm just really grateful you took the time to talk with me today. Uh, Rob Chevelle is the co-founder of Abine and Delete Me. We'll have links to those sites in the show notes. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. 